Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally using sound for health and wellness. Today, our guest is Simone Vitale, who is a sound therapy teacher and musician. He tells us about his musical background and those moments that shifted the way he approached and experienced music that then sparked him to enter the field of sound therapy. We discuss the use of the voice, the healing qualities of our voice and why it's important to connect to our voice. We also talk about his inspiration from nature, from plants, sound ecology, and generally how sound influences us. This episode is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. They offer the country's largest showroom of quartz crystal singing bowls, sound healing instruments, and vibrational medicine tools. They are available to consult you when you're on your search for the right sound healing tools and the right tones for you. You can give them a call or visit them online at theomshop.com. And if you're ever in Sarasota, Florida, you should stop by or you know check them out, check out what they have in stock and also enjoy luxury spa treatments such as sound healing, energy work, massage, vibroacoustics, or hypnotherapy. Thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their sponsorship and support of this podcast. Please enjoy this episode with Simone Vitale. Thank you so much, Simone, for joining me for this podcast, this interview. And it's so wonderful that we can connect through technology since you're all the way in New Zealand and I'm over in the States. And um, I really appreciate you being here and, and spending your time for this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to you for having me. It's a pleasure. Why don't we get to know you a little bit? Just tell us a bit about your background, of course, where you're from, where you grew up, and uh, your initial um, kind of diving into music as a musician when you were young. Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born in Rome, Italy, and that's where I grew up. And I spent most of my life there before I, before living in Italy and traveling a bit and then ending up in New Zealand. And um, yeah, I started as a musician. So my, my relationship with sound began through music. And I started playing music when I was fairly young let's say I started maybe when I was about 12 something like that and I just started playing um, mainly for fun so I started playing with friends my same age at school and so I didn't have like a typical um, path through music of studying you know when I was very little or I didn't actually even study until a bit later so I became very passionate very quickly about playing music and I was in a band for my first band was a, a hard rock band and actually I played rock music um, for most of my musical career my musical professional career and so that became a really big strong passion in my life and took most of my time and attention for many many years. And then, um, so I started playing keyboards, but I've also been interested in other instruments. So I can play guitar, I can play a little bit of bass, guitar, percussions, 
not really excelling in any of these instruments, but having more pleasure in, be, in being able to play more than one instrument than, than maybe just one really well. Because also I love producing music. So have, being, able to, um, being able to play more than one instrument is very handy and useful when I'm producing music. So yeah, then years later, I also became very interested in recording music. So I ended up um, apprenticing in a recording studio and then also working in that studio and in another one in Rome for a really a long time, like 15 years in the end. <clears throat> so I kind of explored the, the world of music from both the, the performance and the composition side and the technical side of being in the recording studio and the whole process, the technicalities of um, producing music from the first idea to the final mix. So that, that was a very fulfilling path for me because it gave me an all round vision of the process of creating music, which is really fun actually. And it's still, I don't, I don't, have a lot of time nowadays to produce music but when i do i still really enjoy a lot the whole process it's kind of i like to think of that as painting a picture which is also something i, I love doing i love drawing and painting and creating the whole um the whole final product is, is it's a bit like painting because you start with an idea of, of a song or of a musical piece and then you start working on it. And then when, when, it, when it's kind of almost ready, you start producing it, which is kind of like putting colors on it. And then the mixing process with all the fine aspects and the fine tuning. So it's really, it's a really beautiful, beautiful process. Something I love doing and I've done most of my life. And then, um, so, so gradually I went from music and playing music, creating music, then recording and all the aspects of sound. And then at some point uh, my life uh, changed completely. I went through some kind of, I would say crisis in a way, like um, really needing to get to know myself more. And I opened up to spirituality and things like meditation and, and that's when I realized that I wasn't able to use music in the same way that I had done for so many years. I still remember the moment, the very moment when things stopped making sense for me. I was on stage. Um, it was the, um, um, how do you say, the, the, we were presenting the new CD with one of the bands, uh, the last band I played with. And, and I was on stage and suddenly what I was doing didn't make sense, just, just like that. I was playing and it was all going really well and was playing bass in that time more than the keyboards. And yeah, I remember being on stage playing looking at the others, looking at the stage and kind of seeing myself also a little bit from outside, from above, seeing the whole thing and, and just thinking this doesn't make any sense at all, <laughs> like that. 
and it was about the fact that the music um, was more for entertainment first and also was very very loud because I've always played in, in towards rock music then it always ends up being so loud and which is fine in the open air you know on a really big stage but this thing that when you go to a club to listen to some music has to be so loud that just suddenly that it didn't make any sense at all it was very very quick very sudden and so i ended up quitting the band and i ended up not playing music actually for um maybe six months or something like that i i quit my job i quit my band I ended up living in a very close to the countryside <clears throat> on the outskirts of Rome. Um, and I spent some time alone in that place for like six months and I was basically doing nothing. And I wasn't listening to music because obviously I had also been a very avid listener. All sorts of music, all kinds of music. So I had a huge CD library. And I stopped listening. It was like kind of a detox in a way, just cleaning, clear, uh, cleansing my whole system from all the sounds I had been exposed for so many years. And then when I started, um, I picked up my classical guitar again and just for myself, just to enjoy myself. I instantly reconnected with something that had been there my whole life my whole musical life, but something that I didn't really pay so much attention to. So I always had this um, very old, very cheap classical guitar with me. And I remember playing it at home for myself. So without any idea of creating songs or practicing the music I was supposed to play, just playing for myself, just, you know, very gently, very slowly or very, repetitively also kind of going almost in a trance at that time when i was you know, when i wasn't working i wasn't playing and, and i was just doing that and i realized i've always done that it's always been so good for me and and i realized that's that's what i want to do with music i mean that's 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 what that's the real value suddenly for me what the real value of music was actually that particular effect of using the sound more than the music, the sound of the musical instrument, rather than thinking of where do I go from here musically. Just the sound in a very simple way to, to create this effect in myself. And I thought, well, that, that's probably something that I can do also for others. And the same way I was, I used to entertain others, now I can do that. This, for others and, and that's how it all started so this was maybe let's let me think this must have been something like 16 17 18 years ago and very then obviously very quickly after that i became interested in in learning everything i could learn about the healing qualities of music and then the next step was uh, sound healing so I, I started with one metal singing bowl many, many years ago. Um, 
because at that time I also um, became interested in body work. So I studied massage and I started integrating the singing board immediately in my massage. And yeah, it all went very step by step gradually from there. I discovered tuning forks shortly after um, by reading John Bolio's book. And um, yeah, then I bought a basic set of tuning forks and I started experimenting with those. It all unfolded. And now this is a, a big, big part of my work at the moment. So that's briefly my journey through sound and music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it really started with your own need for um, kind of experiencing sound and music for yourself, right? You were kind of a, a bit overdone and fatigued by music and the entertainment side and the loud side of playing uh, in, in a band. But then just playing that guitar and feeling the notes. I'm curious what in your own compositions and your own kind of sound production, um, what has shifted for you as a composer and like how you present your music? Um, well, the main thing that shifted, the first thing that shifted is that I started focusing more on acoustic music rather than amplified or electro, even electronic music, which um, it's something that I still include, but for some time I only focused on just playing the guitar. I wanted that, um, I wanted to be in touch with the real sound of the instrument without anything else. Also another, I uh, just remember another great experience that I had with that band just before I quit the band. Um, another pivotal moment was we, um, we played, we performed at a uh, benefit concert and it was in a theater, in a proper theater and um, there was no uh, amplification. So we contributed two songs and one was a very gentle song. And so I played the piano instead of playing the, the keyboards and everyone was singing without microphones. And then at the end, the song used to end with just voices, even in its original form. So at the end, the, the thing was that I would also stop playing piano and I would walk to the front and we were all in a line at the front of the stage singing without microphone in this really beautiful theater in Rome. And, and that was like mind blowing, like, because I, I've always played rock music, my experience of music has always been connected to amplifications. Singing like that without a microphone with, with my colleagues and hearing the, the, the beautiful mix of the voices just like that free of any um, intermediate reproduction with microphones and speakers, uh, that, that was also really mind blowing. I, I actually had never experienced that before. So uh, that really did something for me. So this idea of, of being with the sound itself without any other elements of um, having to amplify the sound and having having the sound going through speakers, which is, it changes because it's not the actual sound anymore. It's been reproduced electronically up through the speakers. 
So the reason why I was mainly playing just the guitar was to feel the vibrations of the sound in the space. And that's something that I still, when I, when I still offer music, it's normally in the setting of um, just like, a, like, like it would be with a sound bath, just people in a space without any microphones and without any amplifications. And I use my sound healing tools, mainly the singing bowls, but I also include a lot of instrument and a lot of singing. And it's just so beautiful for me to experience it in the space without any, um, any artificial way of reproducing the sound. So yeah, I, that was my main um, access point was like, oh, I, I need to experience the sound itself for first. And, and yeah, and that made me so aware of how different it is to experience the sound of an instrument live without any microphones in the space than either through speakers or even just recorded. Yeah, so that was a big um, access point for me, working yeah. with sound. And I'm curious, you know, that, that shift from very amplified and mixed to then acoustic, do you still think with all those years of experience as a recording engineer and, and doing all that recording um, and mixing and, and working on all the layers, do you think that affects uh, the way that you hear um, different textures and when you're creating these, these sound baths or performances, do you think all that, that time really working on the engineering aspect of recording uh, affects how you work with sound? Well, it is, it is probably, um, it's part of my training here in hearing, you know, and really focusing on sound so much. So I'm sure it does. I'm sure it was part of um, enhancing my capacity to, to really feel all the tiny, tiny aspects of sound. And so I'm sure that that's been part of my process of learning to do that. And with, with, it is, if you do it, you know, it, um, I'm, I'm just thinking back on my, on, on myself in the studio working and it is a really opening process anyway, because you need to listen, because very often when you're in the studio, you're not only there to do the technical side, very often um, people, uh, the musicians who are recording, they go through their own process and very often they involve you in that process. So they start asking you, what do you think is that better? Is that one better? Is the first take or the second take better? And then it becomes a, a more collaborative process also of fine tuning into what the, that particular artist is trying to express is wanting to express and, and being able to maybe give a little bit of advice here and there to optimize the way they want to convey whatever they, they want to convey. So that whole time in the studio wasn't only a time of learning the, the technical aspects of producing music, which is so useful for me now. It was also a real growth, a real learning process of the whole um, human interaction part of making music and also um, the, the, the quality of 
being able to communicate what you want, what you want to communicate through music. And for the recording, um, now there's two aspects. One is that um, un unfortunately, um, the, the more we go on, the more music becomes um, used, is used by people in the lower and lower and lower quality. And that's a bit of a shame because um, when music is listened to at the highest possible quality that our technology allows, so either a CD with a really good um, speaker system or, or even vinyl, which is for even better for certain, for, for certain aspects. But I'm talking about um, not uncompressed music. I think it, it can still do really a lot. And it actually, I do believe that a recording can even contain some of the energetic aspects of working with sound and music. I believe that it's possible to, some, something of the spirit of the music goes into the recording as well. And so if we, if we talk about it in this context of sound healing, we can talk about the intention. Some of the intention of the one who's making the music goes in there. And that's something I've, I've experienced myself um, listening to music, for example, when, when I was much younger and I didn't really speak good English. Um, being able to understand the sense of the song, even though I couldn't understand the words exactly, and then later, when, when, I, when I was able to actually read or listen and understand it fully to realize, but I've always knew that this, that this song was about this or, and it can go either way. I've also experienced a feeling very, very um, um, unpleasant feelings by being exposed to someone's music. And um, like there was this one singer I'm just I'm not going to name the singer, but um, someone I used to live with for a short time, I was sharing a house. She was really into the singer and she was, she kept playing that CD and I kept feeling sick every time she, even though, it, you know, we're talking about a very appreciated singer. And um, sometime later when, when she, the, the singer, the artist died um, of, um, not really suicide, but you know, drugs and alcohol. And I remember feeling really not surprised. Like really, every time I, I heard her voice, it made me feel, feel sick. Even though so many people like her, you know, she was she was a famous famous song um, singer. But that was another experience for me. Like, see, I. I I just could feel something. And it's not that I didn't like the kind of music that she was making, just, I don't know, it was just visceral, visceral feeling of just feeling sick. And, and then when that happened, I thought something of her problems with herself were transmitted in the music and in her voice, especially, you know, and, and it can happen through, through recordings as well. Yeah. Yeah, that you could really feel energetically that something was off just through her voice yeah let's get into the voice a little bit more I know that some of your initial training 
I think you had um, overtone singing training uh, with the voice. Talk a little bit more about your experience with the voice um, as a healing tool and, and why it is so powerful. Yeah, working with my voice has probably been the, the main step to open up the whole field of sound healing and sound therapy for me. Because before that, I was... Um, I was in that phase that I mentioned before. I was kind of like floating and not really doing much and clearing myself and my field from all the musical input, uh, exploring with my guitar. And But I was still pretty much on the musical side of things. And uh, when I started working with my voice, then I really realized how powerful sound can be sound itself the vibration of sound not not music and yeah that was a complete opening <laughs> for me it was mind-blowing how 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 incredible it can be to work with your voice so yeah i met this teacher in rome and uh, his name is mauro tiberi and um, i just went to he, he used to have this weekly evening um group work so you could just go whenever you felt like it was like a fixed appointment. So I, I did some work with him, especially around overtones, but also it was really beautiful to work in his groups, just experiencing the way all these voices could come together and, and experiences, experiencing the physicality of sound and interaction of various sounds and feeling it really in the body, feeling it vibrating in the space. It was just really incredible. And I had also one of my uh, greatest, um, um, how, I wouldn't know what's, what the right word is. I would say mystical experiences in a way. Um, I was, um, at some point he, I wanted to make an experiment. So he picked me to, to do something for the group. So we sat in front of each other, let's say maybe um, maybe four meters apart in front of each other. And, and he wanted to experiment projecting each other's voice onto each other and, and feeling the moment when the two sounds would meet in the space and try to focus on um, imagine, um, imagine projecting a beam of light, two beams of light, and then having them crossing somewhere. He said, let's try and focus on the feeling we get of, of our voices really meeting at some point and interacting with each other. So we started doing this thing and it was just, at some point I, I had my, high, my eyes fixed on him. And um, all the other people in the group were sitting in two lines beside us. And at some point something happened and the whole room went gold, pure gold. And I could see the, all this golden light. And I, I didn't move my eyes because I knew that if I had moved my eyes, I would, I would have lost the vision. So I just kept it like that. And I could see with the corners of my eyes, I could see the people sitting and they were all made of golden light. You know, you know, you know, in the matrix when you could see all the numbers and the things. Imagine something like that, but made of golden light. You could see like the fabric 
this fabric made of Kulmer light, it was just a mind-blowing experience, which is also where um, I took the name from for my musical project, which is the sound of Kulmer light. Um, that's 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 the name that all my music goes under. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean that that was just mind-blowing and really opened my awareness to how powerful it can be to work with sound and especially with your own voice because that's the original sound musical instrument sound instrument the original tool that we all have we're all born able to make sounds unless you can't of course for some specific reason but you know we all are born with with, with a voice and um it's just yeah, working with your own voice go to such a depth that nothing else can really touch. And it can be uh, unsettling, it can be scary. That's why so many people have um, inhibition around working with their voice. They don't like their voice or when they start working with their voice that they're inhibited. And it's got something, I mean, it, it, it's got all sorts of um, layers and aspects, including um, social conditioning, because clearly the voice is also connected with being able to express and, and stand up for yourself or um, express your thoughts and, and all that. But I believe that there's an even deeper um, aspect that is the actual vibrate when we feel the vibration of, of our own voice in the body it's such an a, a, a profoundly embodying experience from a spiritual perspective in a way because the, for me the way i feel the voice works for us in general is that it, it it's a direct connection with that part of ourselves that we don't that it's intangible and you know, we have many names for the soul, the spirit. It's that part that it's clearly there, but it's so intangible and so undefinable. And and through our voice, there's there's almost a direct connection with that part. And we can use the sound of our voice to bring more of that part into the body, more of our soul, if we want to use that word, into the body. So it's an incredibly strong tool for, for embodiment and self-discovery, self-knowledge, knowing yourself, knowing more of yourself and inviting more of yourself into your body. So yeah, that's why I found it so powerful. That's why I still focus so much of my work around the voice. Yeah, I'm curious um, if you're able to share you know, helping people get past that resistance. You know, a lot of people do have a resistance to using their voice, especially if they think they're going to be singing. Um, you know, any words of encouragement um, or anything something somebody could do that feels safe just, just to get them going on expressing their voice? Well, normally in my, in my trainings, um, I, first of all, because I, my training is in the field of sound therapy, not so much music. So I don't work with the voice in, in terms of singing. I'm not a singing teacher also because I wouldn't have the experience to do that. Um, 
I always remind people that in sound healing, first of all, we're not singing music. It's not music. There, there's no need to think, oh, I can't sing in tune or I don't have a nice voice or whatever people tell themselves about their voice. Um, so that that relaxes a little bit the atmosphere when I say this is not music, you don't need any musical skill, you don't need to be able to sing in tune, don't worry, that's the first thing. And then um, I remind them that in sound healing, there's no <clears throat> good sounds or bad sounds, there's no beautiful sound and ugly sound, there's just the sound and what it does. Every sound does something, every sound <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> every sound has an effect it's not wrong or right it's not out of tune or in tune beautiful or ugly it's just the sound and what it does and that normally helps people relax and they um, they're a bit more willing to explore than with me um, some exercises or things because it's, it's good to start from a place of wanting to connect with your voice the same way you, you would connect with your body. So, you know, yes, you can learn very um, organized disciplines like very organized dance kind of things, or you can practice yoga in a very specific way, or you can do it very freely. So there's free dance, there's a free movement, just for you to start, um, you know, getting really in touch with your body and, 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 and the way you express yourself through your body. So the same way applies for sound. There's, there's musical training where you have to do certain specific things. And then there is this free exploration of sound, which is just you getting in touch with yourself and um, getting um, familiar with your own voice and once you open that awareness, also getting in touch with how much of your body actually can be um, made to resonate to your voice, much more than you normally experience in your life, you know, just in your head or here in the, the upper part of the chest, that's where we experience our voice the most in, in daily life and just when we're talking. But then you, you, can, you realize that you can experience your voice in your whole body when you open up that kind of awareness and yeah it's it's really beautiful to see the kind of um openings people have and you know when you when you see really in their eyes that something's happened and they're really experiencing something new it's really beautiful yeah yeah i agree people just coming into the the power of their voice is is really special and actually realizing that you can direct your energy uh, to different parts of your body for example with the voice and of yeah. course with using your intention very much you can direct uh, your energy with your voice as well yeah very nice well yeah. i'm curious i know another big part of your work is also your appreciation of nature but also the sounds or, or sound ecology uh, the soundscapes that are around us so i'm curious um your interest in in those particular fields you know nature um, the music of plants all those different aspects if you talk a little bit about that yeah so nature has been um, a big part of that cleansing process i mentioned before i used to spend i used to do very little and i used to spend a lot of time in nature 
I used to either go to the beach or to <clears throat> a small forest that I had just very close to my house. And I remember spending really long periods of time just sitting by a tree with my back against a tree or just lying down in the shade and just feeling it so much. And at that same time, because my, my, my sense, my senses were open so much, I also had some interesting experiences with plants where I started um, I can't really say hearing the thoughts because it wasn't not that, but having thoughts in my mind that would suddenly come in while being in, in touch with plants. Like for example, a really funny example, I used to go to help with this friend of mine in Tuscany. He has olive trees and you know, around October, October, November, it's the time where you pick the olives. And, and I used to go whenever I could, I used to go and help him. So I used to spend maybe one week or 10 days with him. And <clears throat> I remember one time having this clear feeling that the trees, while we were picking all the olives from the tree, all of them, I, I, I had this thought in my mind, just came like that, that the tree couldn't understand why we wanted all the olives. Why didn't we just take what we needed? And, and that question didn't come from me, just, just dropped in my mind. And, and I thought, well, that, that makes sense because they don't know that we make oil out of it. They, they, you know, a tree is there and it's got fruit to offer and you normally go there and you eat something. You don't pick the whole thing. You just look at animals. They go there, they eat something and then they leave. Or we, if we're, if we're walking in, in the countryside and we spot a tree that's got really nice fruit, then we might pick one or two or three and then that's it. You don't systematically pick all, all of the fruit. So I, I had this clear sense that the trees couldn't really understand why we were so fixed on, on, on getting all the olives out of the tree. And I remember finding that really striking, this, thought because it didn't come from me and clearly didn't come from me and I thought well I then replied to that thought by saying well we actually pick all the olives because when you press the olives it come this really good amazing oil comes out and it can then be sold to all many more people so actually from the olives of this tree a lot of people will get the benefit of the olive so it's not only us it's a lot of people and i don't know if i imagined it maybe i did but i i like to think that there was a moment of hmm, okay then you know <laughs> something like that and then i remember having this feeling of um having to with the same friend actually in the same place in tuscany at some point we were clearing a piece of of, of a field that was had been not cared for for a long time and he wanted to um, get rid of some weeds and, and things that they had taken over a whole area so we started pulling these things and and i remember hearing this scream in my head 
And I thought, man, I, I, I had to stop. I had to stop because I thought, okay, yes, these are weeds, but they're weeds for us. You know, they're, they're just plant like any other plant and they just there and they just want to leave and and it it's kind of i one can come to terms with killing a plant for a purpose like to eat it for example or to make wood but killing it with no purpose other than just clearing that area because that's 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 a weed so it's bad I just couldn't do it. I had to stop. And um, so I think during that time, because I was going through such a peculiar process of spiritually also, I, I, I started feeling nature a bit more than, than just enjoying it as I always did. We all enjoy nature. We all enjoy the quiet. We all enjoy going for a walk in the forest and swim in the sea. We all love that. Uh, but somehow the, the, the perception went a little bit beyond in that time. And I started kind of feeling it a bit more and, and feeling the life uh, behind that plant, that there's actual life there and there's, there's some level of awareness. And later on, I um, came to know the music of the plants, which is this process that um, this experimental um, stuff that, um, as far as I know, uh, started um, sometime in the 1950s and 60s, and then became a bit more popular in the 70s, and then kind of disappeared a little bit. And I got in touch with that through uh, the people from Damanhur, which is this community, spiritual community in the north of Italy, and they have been doing experiments with the plants and the communication with plants and um, transducing electrical signals from the plant into MIDI that then can um, control a musical instrument for many, many years, I think like maybe 30 or 40 years. And I was very fascinated as a musician, of course, and, and having had all these recent openings towards nature, I found it really fascinating. So I got myself one of those devices and I started um, playing around with it and it's fascinating having having that kind of um, acoustical feedback from a plant which is something we're not used to so having let's say you have a plant in your house and you can be more or less connected with that plant depending on the kind of person you are but that's generally a very quiet presence and you probably forget about it for most of the day and then when you see it, maybe you remember you need to give it water. But having it making sound in the space, it, it changes it completely. Suddenly that presence is always there. And also the way the sounds change um, change according to what's happening around in the space. So it, it gives that really tangible feedback and, and experience of something the plant might be experiencing because the, the music's changing. So it means that the electrical activity of the plant is changing. And so it's, it's something's happening that's making that change happen. So it's really, really fascinating. And then you know, playing together with that, with an instrument, uh, it's very, it's very, can be very beautiful because it, it allows, at least for me, that's the experience, it allows me to 
really enter a different space and just listening to a whole different level because plants exist on a different time scale. So the, the processes of plants are much slower than, than for animals. So by tuning into that music and trying to you yourself tune yourself to that kind quality of music, it's a little bit like trying to put yourself in tune with the different timescales with its existing on this planet, but on a different timescale than, than others. Because that's also an interesting thing. There are different timescales on the planet because different life forms have different uh, life cycles and some metabolisms are faster than others. And you can have some, you know, some something that lives 300 years and something that lives 24 hours, you know, it's a completely different timescale. And it, uh, it, it, it almost gives you a multi-dimensional time vision of life just on this planet, on this particular one. You know, and God knows what else is possible on other planets in terms of life that maybe we can't recognize, we can't see it as life because we look for certain characteristics when we look for life. But there may be different, completely different ways of, of existing on, on other planets. Yeah. Yeah, when you do you play the, the classical guitar with the music of the plants and have um, kind of a conversation or, or how do how do you play with that, that device? Yeah, either with the guitar or with the piano. I, I've done with, with different instruments also with my voice sometimes. I even did one of my case sound healing case studies on a, on a plant with tuning forks. And um, um, yeah, normally I, I listen for some time. So I try to get the, the pattern that's happening in that moment. And normally what I like to do, I would like to accompany that. So I try to play the same way I would play for a lead, for a solo instrument or a lead voice. I would try to make the accompaniment for that melody. So I try to hear what kind of pattern, if it's a very slow, if it's a little bit faster, and try to get it. And then with the guitar or with the piano, I just start playing a, a few notes first, trying to do something similar. And then I start adding more notes and playing chords. And what, yeah, I, I take it as um, an experiment of how much I can tune into what's happening, what's coming from the plant, and, and, and try to really understand the musicality of it and, and see if I can accompany in a way that can make sense for me as a musician, but it can still make sense with what's coming out of the plant. So, kind of a, I, I like to think about it as a co-creation. And of course, it's questionable and debatable how much of awareness there is in the plant of that moment. But I've also experienced some really striking moments of interaction. And of course, it can be a coincidence. I, 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 I don't, you know, I, I don't say, no, it's like that. I'm aware that it can be a coincidence, but sometimes it's really, really, <laughs> something <laughs> really impressive yeah 
Now let's talk a little bit about, I'm curious, I know you've, um, I've heard you talk about the phonosphere and kind of our sound environment. I wonder if you talk about that a little bit and also, you know, what do we uh, label as noise and kind of distraction and how does that make us feel versus sounds that we're really using intentionally to affect how we feel? If you could just talk a little bit, bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So phonosphere is a word that I um, came up with at some point when I realized that you can you can imagine, you can visualize in your mind the totality of the sounds that, that are present on the planet, that take place at any time on the planet. It, it's like a sphere, so it's like a, a, um, a layer in a way. So atmosphere is the sum of the gases and, and on the planet, or hydrosphere is all the water. And so phonosphere can be a layer of all the sounds that take place in the planet. And intrigued by this idea, I, I then thought, well, sounds obviously have been present from the beginning. So, okay, we, we know that um, we are told that sounds don't travel through empty space. So there's the supposedly no sound in outer space. But we can probably assume that as soon as the Earth has got an atmosphere, then sound was possible. So the sound of all the processes of the formation of the Earth, and the water, and then the earthquakes, and the volcano, and whatever, all even before there was so much life on the planet, um, there was already sound happening because there was an atmosphere. So the vibration of sound could travel through the atmosphere in the form of sound, even if there wasn't anyone there to listen. You know the famous thing, if, if, uh, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one to listen, does it make a sound? Yes, of course it does. It creates vibrations, then no one is there to call it a sound it's going to set vibrations in motion. And, and so I like to imagine these vibrations that come as a byproduct of other things. They come a byproduct of, of an eruption or waves of water, wind. Can they have an effect on the development of the environment? And so my conclusion as a philosophical rambling is that yes, they do. And obviously I'm not, um, I haven't started a scientific project on it to, to, to prove that, but intuitively it makes sense for me that the, the sound having such a strong power and, and, and being such a physical reality because vibration, the vibration of sound is really, it's a really physical phenomenon. And it, it contributes to the shaping of environments. And then environments become more complex and life forms become more complex. So the complexity of the sound increases because when you have animal life, then you start having also the sounds of the animals, the songbirds and all that stuff and the insect. And the complexity of life increases, the complexity of sound increases. And, and I think that there must be some relationship in, in, it must be reciprocal. 
the complexity of one influences the complexity of the other. So in a way, sound has a, a nourishing quality on the environment and it can be nourishing for us, for our nervous systems. Like when we, one of the most common way of distressing is to go into nature. And one of the things that happened in nature is that you hear the sounds of nature. And most people find nature sounds calming and relaxing. Uh, I, I can't say all because I can't speak for each single human being on this planet, but I would say that most people tend to find either the, the waves, the sound of the waves or the leaves or the wind through the leaves, the occasional bird, the occasional insect. We all tend to find those, those sounds relaxing and nourishing. And we know that there's a quality of sound that um, is artificial that has stressing effect. So there, ha um, there have been studies around noise pollution, many, many studies. And then they found out things, for example, like the, the performance of um, school kids exposed to traffic noise was lower than the, the, the same grade kids in the same school on the side of the school that was not exposed to traffic and things like that. There's, there's so many studies around that. Or, you know, living close to an airport or um, being exposed to constant traffic as opposed to occasional traffic. And it, it, uh, it has a huge effect. So going back to your question some time ago about what is noise and what is one, the, the typical definition of noise is unwanted sounds. And because philosophically, we can go back to the, uh, to what I was talking about before, um, about the voice, there's no really, there's no sound that it's wrong and no sound that it's right. It's just sound and what it does. Um, but when, when we look at the effects of certain artificial sounds like traffic or uh, machinery, on our nervous systems, there's a certain effect. And that doesn't mean that one can say that the sound is inherently wrong, but it's just a sound that has a certain effect on our nervous system. So in a way, defining uh, noise as unwanted sound is, 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 a, is a definition, but obviously then you start, ex um, you have to expand it because for some, if some people hate the sound of the sea, that's an unwanted sound for them. So noise is a very subjective term and it's normally defined as unwanted sound. Or for some people, the, 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 um, the sound of the voice, voices of children is one of the most beautiful things and for other people, it's really annoying. <laughs> you know? For someone ha having a, a, a school as a neighbor and, and hearing the children playing in the in their break is really uplifting and for other people can be annoying. So it's very subjective what we call noise. So I prefer to focus on, on, the, on the sound itself and, and what it does. So if it does nothing, then there's no point in calling it noise. If, if it doesn't disturb, if it doesn't annoy you know but if it has 
an effect on the nervous system or an effect on, on your quality of sleep, on your cognitive abilities, then we, we can call it an unwanted sound because it has really unwanted consequences. And it just so happens that so many of the sounds that we as, as humans create artificially have that kind of effect. The buzzing of appliances, um, the, um, the, the traffic and machinery and roadworks. You know, you just need to spend 10 minutes with, with roadworks outside of your window and, and you know, just go mad. So that, that's where the idea of nourishing sounds and, and not nourishing sounds come from in, in the idea of the phonosphere. So the idea is that there are sounds that have a more nourishing quality for life in general. And we can get a sense of that if we just observe ourselves. How do we react to that sound? Is it relaxing? Is it, does it feel nourishing or does it feel stressful? And does it take energy? Does it deplete us of energy? <clears throat> and so that can give, can give us a hint because we can, we can then extend that and, and think, okay, if let's say traffic is so annoying for us and it has such a negative impact, does it have the same effect on other living beings? And except for observing certain behaviors like uh, birds who have to change the pitch of their song when they live in cities as, as opposed to the same bird living in nature. You know, they, they raise the pitch or they change, <clears throat> but that's an adaptation in their behavior. behavior. Um, we can't ask them how annoyed they feel about that sound. But I, I don't know, I think, I think if, it's, if it's so depleting for us, we can assume that for other beings who have a nervous system, which is in any way similar to ours, it can potentially have similar effects. Right. And, you know, almost having an awareness of how sound affects you. For some cases, you know, can you make a shift and make choices about what surround, surrounds you as far as sounds? But even if not, you know, if you, you live where you live, you have those particular noises, finding ways to get a balance so you have more of these nurturing sounds and you're not just exactly. bombarded by the ones that bother yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, that's why recordings of um, nature sounds have been so popular for what, 40 years or even more. Because if you live in a city, then there's not much you can do, but people love to, to buy these recordings of nature sounds and listen to them because at least it reminds your your your, your your biological memory, your cellular memory is reminded of those sounds because the, the fact that <clears throat> I think a contributing factor that mm, artificial sounds can be so depleting is also due to the fact that it's happened very quickly in our history. So if you, if you consider 300 years of industrial revolution and you compare it with, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of um, evolution of biological life only in, in immersed in the sounds of your natural environment, it's, it's a very short time. 
And <clears throat> so in a way, we've only just started making that kind of noise. And because it's going so fast and because industrialization has been so fast and, and now it's everywhere, <clears throat> our nervous systems haven't had the um, natural time they need to adapt. Because I don't have any problems thinking that if for any reason the industrialization of the world had to proceed at a more natural pace, we would be completely fine with those sounds. Let's say the industrializing the whole society like we have it now, let's say it would take 300,000 years instead of 200. Um, maybe that wouldn't be a problem. Maybe those sounds would be as natural to us as the sounds of nature. But because it has gone so fast, we don't, we're just overwhelmed our system is still tuned to the natural sounds because we have evolved through thousands and thousands and thousands of years in that environment. So I don't think we have, we have the, um, the capacity still to be fully adapted to artificial sound because it's just happened too fast. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that might be also part of the reason why in in sound healing sound therapy there's so much use of the silence or at least the the sustain and then the fade because we're so used to in many environments sound being very exhausting and fatiguing that having a sound followed by silence is really a way just to kind of let go and and have more space yeah yeah, yeah that that silence is something that's becoming so rare in our lives and <clears throat> it symbolizes itself as silence, as actual quiet, and it symbolizes also the slowing down of the of our pace, which is also very, very hectic most of the time. Also our mental activity, we're always thinking we have so many things to do. So that sound is um, th that quiet, that silence is a thing in itself, but it also allows us to experience a slowing down. And that's a moment we're taking for ourselves. That's a moment when we're doing nothing, we're just relaxing. So yeah, it, it's, as you said, when, when we experience a sound healing session or a sound bath, that moment when the sound starts fading and there's not another sound immediately coming in, we feel like, ah. Oh, Finally, a moment of total break. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm curious uh, just to bring us to what you're doing in your, your present day. Um, we can talk about the trainings that you offer, but, but first I'm curious, what are you really interested in right now? What are you studying or immersing yourself in? What's kind of your new curiosity when it comes to the sound work? Um, well, my recently, the last, let's say, one and a half years, I've been working, even, even two years, actually, I've been working on creating the online material from my training. So a lot of my focus has gone there. But um, in particular, in my work, I'm very fascinated by the um, effects of sound physically on the body and also on the effects on the nervous system. So I'm really intrigued by 
the possible um, the possibilities that sound offers to regulate the nervous system and working with the vagus nerve and the way the way the, the vagus nerve affects the whole body and, and it regulates the nervous system. And how much of that can be stimulated by the, the proximity of the, 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 the beginning of the vagus nerve with the acoustic nerve. And so that's, that's something that fascinates me and the use of the voice and breathing in a certain way, using the diaphragm also influences the, the vagus nerve. So I find that the combination of uh, breathing properly for your vocal practice of toning and the vibration that your toning creates in your head and in your whole body, those two things in combination has such an incredibly powerful effect on the whole nervous system. And I am looking into how all the other instruments can play a similar role as well. <clears throat> and going back to the voice, if you can do it with your voice from within your body, that's obviously the most powerful way. But we have all these great instruments and the, the one of the plus that these instruments have is that you you can totally relax and you because when you're using your voice you're being active and these instruments give you the, the possibility to experience the vibration of sound without having to be active and engage your voice so that's also the the great thing of, of being able to experiencing a sound therapy session is just you relax completely and you can focus all your attention on what happens in your body and in around your body when these vibrations start interacting with your system. So yeah, I would say that particularly now I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in finding the more links between all these physiological processes that we can create with our voice and how the same can be achieved with external instruments such as singing bowls and tuning forks how we can uh, create the same level of uh, deep influence on the nervous system. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned your online course that you've just uh, released, I'm assuming pretty recently. Could you tell us more about what courses you're offering and if somebody wants to look into it, how they could find it? Yeah, it's uh, what I've done. I've recently put all my um, teaching that I used to do in person and because of you know, the global situation and traveling restrictions, I put everything together in one online training for those who can't otherwise see me in any other way. So I used to um, teach this training in two levels, level one and level two, and I've put it all together. So now it's one whole practitioner training and um, it has different modules and so it starts with <clears throat> it starts with an in-depth uh, module on all the theoretical aspects of sound so what sound is what how vibration works but also the effects it has on us on our nervous system and energy field then there's a module uh, an in-depth module dedicated to the voice because i really believe that even if you don't use voice 
in your work as a sound therapist, having practice the exploration of your own voice completely opens your awareness and sensitivity to sound. So, and, and anyway, I find then that many of my students like to incorporate some elements of voice anyway in the, in the what they offer. But even if, if that's not what you're drawn to, it's, it's so powerful to work with your voice for yourself as a personal practice. And then after that, I move into the instrument. So there's a section for the metal singing bowls and the section for the tuning forks, which are the main instruments I work with. And <clears throat> I mention other instruments, but because they're not my, they're, I'm not specialized in those like crystal balls and gongs. I just mentioned them on the side. And yeah, and then also all the aspects of the therapeutic practice. So not only it's important to learn to use the instrument and to use them properly, but there's, there's much more to that if you want to be a therapist. So we look at um, all the qualities you need to cultivate to be um, a good therapist and also things that you need to be aware, like trauma awareness, safe space and all the things that really um, that really create the healing space because the space that you're able to offer is i would say is even more important than what you're able to do with your instrument if you only use your instrument but you don't provide a safe space then <clears throat> the effect is going to be um, much lower than it could be so oh, yeah, that's in a few words, that's, um, that's what my online training offers. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important to include that there, the, you know, therapeutic aspects, because it really is a responsibility. I mean, we are it is. really helping people shift and people could have all kinds of healing responses. So yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great that you include that type of guidance, because yeah, you need to be able to hold space. If, if something comes up, you know, you need to be able to hold space, you need to be able to follow it up, you need to be able to give um, a little bit of resources. Obviously, you have a scope of practice, so scope of practice, so you, you're not going to go into the, unless you have those qualifications as well, but you're not going to go into psychology or therapy in that sense. But you need to be able to hold space for the moment when the things come up and then um, maybe even referring out when necessary. And so th th there's a lot of awareness that is needed in, in, in this field. And I think because it, 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 it can be lacking sometimes because um, people get so excited about being able to learn something so um, beautiful and fascinating like sound healing. And, and so they focus on that. They focus on getting the instruments and learning how to use them and then putting put everything into practice right away. And it can, it can happen that someone lacks a little bit of experience or a little bit of resources on how to deal with, with specific things that may come up. Yeah, so that's very important. Yeah. Yeah, that is great. And you have a pretty easy website to remember for people to look into that. Isn't it the, the soundhealer.org? Is that it? Yes, so yeah. that's my, personal website so mm -hmm. there's a there's a blog um, there's um, information about my sessions that the soundhealer.org 
And otherwise, for my training, I've got um, the other website is schoolofsoundtherapy.com. But yeah, people who land on my personal website, the Sound Healer, also obviously will find the link to that anyway. Yeah. And are you making any original music right now, or have you been working um, on any musical projects? Not, not right now. The last project I worked on uh, was actually a commission. So I created uh, some meditation music for someone else here in New Zealand. And yeah, I haven't produced music for myself now for some time. And I'm always hoping that the right time I've also been moving a lot recently, so that's a little bit of a problem with the equipment, you know, and it's so much easier when you have a, a home studio set up and it's there ready, you just have to switch everything on, than having to take things out of boxes and, <laughs> and but yeah, so that has, that has been a little bit of an obstacle, the fact that I've been moving um, quite often recently, but also having so much work to do with um, training and also I work together with my wife on her online trainings as well. I do a lot of the technical aspects, so we, we're quite busy. Um, but yeah, I always hope that there's some tiny pockets of time here and there so that I can keep that passion alive. Yeah. Yeah, you, you really do need more than just a couple hours here and there. Some people um, are curious about that, but it's almost like you just need really a break from everything to really get into that mindset yeah. to create and really do the quality yeah. that you want to. So I understand that. Yeah. 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 That's why it's not happening because I could have one hour here and there, but that's, that's not going to happen in a way that is enjoyable also for me. You know, that's supposed to be um, something that I really do because I enjoy it. So for me, it's important. As you say, it's exactly like that. I need, the actual time and space to first empty my field and then to get into the creative process. So, but there is, you know, sometimes there is this windows and then I managed to put out a few new tracks. So hopefully it's going to be soon, the next one. <clears throat> Great. Well, is there anything that we, we haven't mentioned or anything that you would like to, to say that we haven't discussed? No, I can't. I can't really think of anything. Yeah, I think I think the main inspiration I would like to 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 bring to people who are listening and who are interested in this field is to really take the time to appreciate the sounds in your environment and noticing the the ways also, as you say, the way you can maybe counterbalance if you live in a particularly noisy area, if you live in the city, um, really adding nourishing sounds to your diet <laughs> is, is, is important. So if you, if you don't live in nature, if you don't live in a particularly quiet area and you're exposed to a lot of um, noise, a lot of traffic, a lot of artificial sounds, it's so important to uh, give yourself some nourishment to, to, to support your system. Also from that point of view, the same way you would take care of your diet, the same, the same, way, the same way we take supplements and you know, we try and eat organic and things like that. 
it's the same with sound. Sound has such a nourishing power. Sound is such a nourishing element. Being able to be exposed to clean sounds, the same way we want to be exposed to clean food and clean water is so important. So yeah, I can only recommend when it's possible, always going for a walk in nature. And when you do get there, really, really appreciate it, really notice how 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 much is happening for you you're opening up to the environment and the environment is giving you so much so also expressing gratitude for that in some way even even if just in your thought in your mind maybe just before you leave to go back you can take a moment to acknowledge how much you have received say thank you in the simplest way because um we take so much from nature all the time. <clears throat> it, is, it is how things are because the nourishment of nature is there to nourish us. So we're supposed to take it. But the moment we realize that it's um, in the balance of things, it always makes sense to give something back. Um, we get into a more aligned state with nature so it's always good to give something back even if it's just a thought of gratitude when you've received something from nature um, it's always good to remember that it can't take it for granted just because it's there you know yeah yeah that's beautiful just having an appreciation uh, for sounds but also an awareness of sounds and, and how they affect us yeah well thank yeah, you so I, much yeah yeah. And also maybe an awareness of our contribution to that environment, you know, so right. when whenever we can limit the emission of sounds that are not particularly nourishing, we should try and do that, you know. Yeah, I really appreciate that, that description of, of thankfulness uh, for, for nature. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for this discussion, but also all you're doing for uh, the sound community, um, especially now that you have this online platform, I encourage people to to check out uh, what you're doing. And yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for this great conversation, wide ranging uh, about your life and, and your work. Thank really you. Great. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. And keep up to date with what's coming up next at SoundsHealStudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts, as well as music meditations, on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned.